Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast is about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. And we are back for another episode. You know what we do here on Immigrant's Life, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also email me at animigrantslife at yahoo.com. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what you think about the podcast, the guest, or me for that matter. I want to hear how this pandemic has been for you. Has it made you stronger or weaker? I'm sure some of you look at this pandemic as a blessing for whatever personal reason you have. You probably thought you knew ways to deal better with stress or... If, like me, your home feels more like the office, gym, and classroom than it does a home lately. My simple trick to bring calm into my space is to light candles. But did you know traditional paraffin wax candles are toxic and harmful to your health? That's why I use Driftwood Naturals 100% Soy Candles. You can fully relax with therapeutic essential oil scents. Plus, you'll rest easy knowing your family and home are safe with natural, clean, burning candles. Canadian-made, vegan, and eco-friendly. This is a product you can feel good to have in your home. For a limited time, my Canadian listeners can take an additional 10% off. You'll pay no taxes and get free shipping on orders over $80. Use promo code AIL. One zero on driftwoodnaturals.ca. Hurry offers expires April 6. Driftwood Naturals, lighting the path for incredible stories of immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. And as an addition to that, I want to thank you for supporting Driftwood Naturals Candles. It really is an amazing company. And since we're on the topic, I want to give a special shout out and thank you to Melissa and Bruno for sponsoring the podcast for the whole March. These two are the proud owners of Driftwood Naturals. They are two amazing people that deserves all the happiness and success. All right, let's talk about the episode now. As the last episode of March, I brought in a closer, a heavy hitter. And this week's guest is a funny and very interesting woman. I mean, highlight the interesting part. Because she said something to her mom when she's just a little girl that if one of my kids says it, I'm sending my kid to the psych ward because it's insane. Uh, But joking aside, you got to hear her story. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, lalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is one funny chiquita. She'll kill you with her beautiful smile and then kill you with her hilarious jokes because she's a comedian. Everyone, please welcome Erica Suarez. Woo! Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> hi, Erica. How are you? I'm fine, and you? Good, good. First of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I was very flattered. Why? Because, like, you want to have me on your podcast? Like, who am I? Yeah, exactly. Who am I, too? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just always very happy when anybody contacts me and wants me to be part of anything. I'm always all yes. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank you again, like I said. So would you like to promote anything before we start? The only thing is my Instagram. So head over to my Instagram. My at is La Erika Suarez. And you can find me there, follow me there. And then, I don't know, maybe one day I'll have an OnlyFan and I'll ask you to promote it. <laughs> I will promote it, but I won't be able to subscribe because my wife will kill me. Oh, I'll give her a subscription for free. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it, man. You got to get that bag. Of course. <laughs> I mean, all the bars are closed, so hey. Exactly, you know. So quickly, I know you had COVID. Is this true? Yeah, I did. And how how was that? How did you deal with it? So I got COVID in September of 2020. Um, and I got it really bad, like really, really bad. But I wasn't surprised because I have a pretty bad immune system. <laughs> um, but some of my friends got it at the same time. Hmm. And we all got it real bad, like 
I lost complete sense of taste and smell and headaches that you couldn't imagine. And like my body was aching. The only thing I didn't get was like, uh, I didn't have any hard time with the breathing. Mm. Like I could breathe just fine. That's the only thing, but yeah, 14 days of pure hell for real. And then since then I have still not recovered Mm. my sense of taste and smell. So really pretty awful. Wow. Thank you for sharing, first of all. Of course. And I love that you say that because you know how uh, some people, they're like, it doesn't exist. It's not true. It's not that bad. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm so open and I talk about it. It's because I know that a lot of people think it's like, um, so lots of people say it's just like a cold, like just normal cold, whatever, um, which is, is not true at all. It could be true. Like I have one of my family members had it and she literally just, just like any flu that you get at any time in your life, just a little cough and little fever and she was fine. Mm. But for people that get it really like intense, like I have a pretty bad health in general, but my friend that got it, he's in perfect health and he got it the same way as I did. So it's not mm. a thing about, Oh, I'm weak or whatever. Um, it's very bad. And it, they don't talk about and the, they don't talk about the effects long-term, which mm. is one thing that I really hate is that the media, they talk about getting it and the testing and the positive and the whatever. But I feel like if they would talk more about what happens after you get it, mm-hmm. people would be way more caref- careful. Cause now today, like I can't eat anything. Like I coffee in the morning, that's done. Like I can't have any of the foods that I liked. I'm basically on like a liquid diet. Because mm-hmm. it changed my sense of taste and smell. I don't. I didn't lose it. It's like everything tastes absolutely disgusting. Mm. It's awful. And so, like two uh, a week ago, I went to the grocery store and just walking into the grocery store, the smell of all the food, I just barfed all over the grocery store because mm-hmm. the smell was so foul. It was oh. like standing in a dump truck. Like it's awful. But I feel like if you were if you tell people you'll get the flu, then they'll be like, fuck off. I don't want to wear the mask. I don't want to do this, this, this. But if you tell people you're not going to be able to eat anything, <laughs> then people will maybe take it more seriously. But uh-huh. yeah, it's pretty awful. Oh, sorry that you're going through that. I mean, at least I'm fine. That's how I see it. Like, at least I'm I'm okay in general. It's That's the only thing that I have left from it. Mm. But there's people that have been like me for mo- over a year now. Wow. And the doctors don't have any cure for that. Mm-hmm. so it's crazy yeah did you go to the hospital i did but the way that once i got there they were like do you have any trouble breathing i was like no they were like go home <laughs> <laughs> that's literally what happened and they were like we can't do anything for you wow and they're like, we don't have a cure we don't have we don't know like it's just if you're not dying <laughs> just stay at home yeah. so it's pretty crazy. So when I like when I come across people that are like, oh, it's no big deal, it's nothing, blah blah blah. I'm like, it could be, it could be no big deal. Because I know some people that have had it and it was no big deal. Mm. They were just a little sick and then it went away. Or you could be like me and have a very like bad version of it and just lose complete sense of taste and smell. Like like two days ago, my boyfriend gave me some chocolate. Mm. And if you would have like covered my eyes and gave it to me i would have guessed that it was parmesan cheese whoa yeah like it's completely fucked like my sense of taste and smell is just completely off completely off so So, i feel like if you tell people that then maybe they'd be careful (laughs) wow that's crazy i you know what i mean i heard of people losing the taste the sense of taste and smell but i never thought this way yeah, and me neither. Like when I got COVID at the, the first time, like when I actually was diagnosed with it, um, I just lost the, ten- the the taste and smell. So I completely lost. So I could eat whatever. And it was, when I mean like loss, it's like 100%. Like I don't eat spicy food. Like if you give me sriracha, I will go into a coma. That's how bad <laughs> I am with <laughs> spicy food. And my boyfriend was like, you didn't lose, lose your sense. I'm like, it's completely gone. So I ate a whole box of spicy 911 wings. Like it was freaking bread. And my boyfriend was like, shook. He was like, okay, I believe you now. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I lost it completely. So when it came back, it came back, but wrong. Hmm. I thought I had something else. So I called the doctor and I was like, I thought I was the only one because there's no, nothing in the news about this. There's nothing, you don't read about the fact that you're, you read about the fact that you lose it. You don't read about the fact that it doesn't come back normal. Hmm. So I called the doctor in panic and they were like, yeah. Like there's thousands and thousands of people like you that had COVID. And I was like, why don't you talk about that instead of talking about the petty stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Here you are thinking you're Will Smith from I Am Legend being the cure. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, girl, why does this chocolate taste like Parmesan cheese? (laughs) Or maybe it is Parmesan cheese and your boyfriend was messing with you. Could be, no, but it's really (laughs) awful. I wish they would talk about that more. Mm-hmm. And not talk about only the fact that you know you're diagnosed and it's just the cold and whatever because it's not just the cold clearly. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's not just in and out kind of deal. No, it's not. It's not at all. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe it that when I called the doctor, I thought I was going to be a revelation. <laughs> I thought I found something new. I thought I was the only one, but no, <laughs> they were like, "Girl, get in line. You're not the only one." And I was like. Why haven't I heard anywhere that it can change your sense of taste and smell? Not just lose it. And they were like, girl, we have other things to do. I was like, fine. You're not Will Smith from I Am Legend. You don't have the cure. You're not special. Mm -hmm. They took me from space and put my feet right back down to hurt. I was like, girl, okay. (laughs) But if not, I'm fine. I'm happy that you're fine. And I hope your family, they're fine too. Yes, everybody's good. I mean... Nobody else in my like close knit family got it, so it was like distant relative that's got it. So even my boyfriend, he lived with me. I mean, we kissed and slept together and in the same bed and whatever when I had COVID. Because I mean, what was he gonna do? You know, there's nowhere else he can go, mm-hmm. and he didn't get it. Mm. And I was here dying with the fever and the sweating <laughs> and the body and the no taste and. He was anticipating. He was like, I'm going to get it for sure. But then he didn't get it. He tested negative. Wow. So that makes no sense. But I mean, does anything make sense with COVID? Not really. Exactly. Unfortunately, that's the scary thing about it. It's not black and white. It's not consistent and it's weird. So. Yeah, exactly. So let's leave COVID alone for a bit. And I want to touch on, since you said you don't like spicy food. You said I can't. No. It's funny because you are ethnically Cuban and Portuguese. Right. But people assume that Cuban food is spicy, but there's no Cuban food that's spicy, actually. Mm. Like there's Cuban food is not spicy. Portuguese food is spicy though. That's it. So I'm basically shunned from my family. <laughs> Unfortunately. So yeah, Cuban doesn't have, I mean, spicy doesn't has necessarily be hot or chilly. Right. There's like, there's um, seasoned food. That's of it. Of course, like there's a lot of seasoning and it's tasty and whatever, but it's not like uh, Mexican food where it's very, very spicy. Like the candy spicy in Mexico. A lot of the things are spicy. Like they eat fruit with chili on it and stuff like that. Like it's, spiciness is a big part of the culture there but in cuba the food is not generally spicy like spicy hot i mean mm-hmm. just the woman right <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell the listeners who's cuban and who's portuguese in your f- family so my dad is cuban he immigrated here from cuba and my mom is portuguese same thing she immigrated here from portugal and in my on my dad's side of the family, um, there's a Chinese heritage lineage. Mm. That's kind of close, actually. I think it's like my grandma that's Chinese. Really? So, yeah. How did you find out? So, basically, um, my, my dad knew her when he grew up. Okay. And, you know, two communist countries. There's a lot of... There, so... The biggest Chinatown in Latin countries is in Cuba Mm. because it's two communist countries. They exchanged slaves years and years ago. (laughs) 
So they, there were a lot of Chinese people that came to build the railroads and stuff like that. And they mm. just left them in Cuba. So there's, a, there's actually a lot. It's a, there's a lot of people that are Cuban that have Chinese heritage. A lot of them don't know, mm-hmm. but it's very common. Really? That's wow. I never thought of that. I mean, either when my dad told me that when I was a little older, I was like, bitch, I'm not Chinese. And then he was like, yes. And then he showed me pictures of my grandma and great grandma and everything. And it's like, yeah. So yeah. I was like, all right. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. So do you know how did your dad came here? So my dad came here. Uh, well, my dad went to the States illegally. Um, I love Scarface, like jump on the boat kind of deal. I think so. He's not very talkative about that. Hmm. Um, I know that he played uh, Major League Baseball and for a few teams. Wow. And then he was, he came to Montreal and he was in the uh, Montreal Expo uh, team, like camps and stuff mm, for baseball. Wow. And he got his citizenship and residency here. And now he's, he, now he's Canadian for sure, for mm. sure. Like he's not, he's here and he's been here for years and years. So, yeah. And my mom came here when she was six years old with her parents. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and how did they meet? I think my, both my parents were, were very um, outgoing, clubby bar kids, like club kids. Mm. I think they, they just met in the, the nightlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Have you visited their home countries? I have not. So both my parents never, my mom hates the plane and my dad never wanted to really return to Cuba, which is no. normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was younger, we never traveled. So now when I was older, I have traveled, but I've never gone to Cuba or Portugal yet. But I definitely mm-hmm. want to go. Why do you think you've never been to Cuba or Portugal? Well, I've never been to Portugal because it's 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 kind of expensive to go there. And also, my boyfriend is really bad with the plane. He he'll, like he will take the plane, but when he's on it, he's like super anxious. He doesn't <laughs> like it, whatever. So he still does it. So we went to Jamaica, we went to Mexico, but um, Cuba is really only the only reason why I didn't go there is because at the time where I was looking for trips. Um, the first trip we did was when my grandma passed away and she gave me, uh, I had a heritage and mm. it was, it was a good amount of money. So I didn't want to just, I, I wanted to use the money to go somewhere where I would usually not have the money to go. Cause you know, mm-hmm. Cuba is kind of inexpensive, right? You can go anytime, but Jamaica is very expensive. So I decided to go there. And then the next year we had some friends that are from Mexico that we're going to Mexico to see some family and they just asked us if we wanted to go. So we went there. So I just, we just never had the chance. I was supposed to go to Cuba in 2020, mm-hmm. but Rona hit. <laughs> so I wasn't able to go. <laughs> no, that's how. I hope someday you will go. I hope so. Where are you from? I'm from the Philippines. Right. I could have told, I, you know, I knew that. I just want to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So how was your childhood in Montreal? My childhood in Montreal was very different from a lot of people because I grew up downtown, like Mm. downtown, downtown Montreal. Wow. Um, I lived on McGill near St. Catherine. So I I lived on the McGill campus and the building that we lived in, my mom was also like um, taking care of the building. So it was all students. So Mm. I, I... grew up on the campus basically as a kid and then i used to go to um elementary school on the plateau so it was fun really i it was living in the heart of the city was very nice so i i i love so i'm i feel very close to montreal because of that it's like downtown is like my home mm-hmm. that's I one thing it. i like about montrealers they love montreal i have never spoken to a person from montreal that say i don't like montreal Right. It's just, I love it. And I can understand like some people that maybe lived on the far ends of Montreal, maybe like um, the east side of like completely east side of Montreal or completely west side. It's not the same experience. Hmm. It's a little bit more suburb-y 
Mm-hmm. Not that it's the suburbs, but it's not like I live like in the middle of the city. Like I knew like the homeless people knew me, the rich people <laughs> knew what's me. Up to you. This no, but it's true because I used to walk around a lot. So like everybody, and there's no, there's not really any kids there. You know, mm. so there's the, there's face, which is the uh, elementary school and high school that's downtown. But the kids don't live around there. You know, mm-hmm. so I was really the only kid that was walking around the neighborhood so people knew me right they, they knew me they, they, they knew that I was gonna pass by at that time and whatever so it was a very fun experience and it made me the person I am today where I'm I'm not very scared of the city I know that a lot of people are scared of the city so mm. I just I live and die for Montreal really mm, that's amazing that's beautiful man I love that yeah but so you said you didn't have friends uh, kids to play with but you have friends at school yes so i did have friends to play with but they lived so i lived on the mcgill campus and then maybe i would say um 10 blocks away east from there you you fall into the plateau where Hmm. all my friends were living so Hmm. i just had to walk maybe 10 to 15 minutes uh and i would be where all my friends lived on the plateau so it was not that bad for me. It's just I was just a little further uh, east where mm-hmm. I was not in the same world as they were. But all my friends lived in the plateau. So when I finished school, I had to walk through the plateau to go home. Mm. So I I walked with my friends. I would be the one that lived the furthest away. Mm. But I still I was still around them a lot. And um, I was able to, since they lived near the school, I was able to go to their house and whatever. And I was still like close to home. So that was fine. I really, mm. I, I, I had a lot of friends, and, but they were on the plateau and I was on the Miguel campus. Mm. Were you a good kid growing up? I was. I was a very good kid. You never got in trouble? Never got in trouble, never got detention, never skipped school. I was a very good kid. Well, I loved school. Even today, I still love school. Mm. Why do you think is that? Is that because you're going to get beat up if you don't be good in school? Well, that's a big part of it, of course. <laughs> you know, that um, that flip-flop sure does find a target. <laughs> but yeah, but it was kind of natural for me. And also, um, I was a very strong personality, even as a kid. So I feel like I was kind of the leader of... I was able to lead the people around me. Not that I was the coolest or I wasn't that popular, but the friends that I had around me, I was able to uh, influence. Hmm. And since I liked school and since I loved um, learning and I was into music also, uh, I played instruments. So I I was a busy kid. I didn't really have time for distractions. And my parents were the very um, cliche immigrant parents. Hmm. What do you mean by that? like, you know, very um, protective, very, you know, hard on you, the kids and you, you must do good at school and you have to be an engineer and whatever. <laughs> and but also they were very uh, loose on other things that other parents were not like my my I was able to tell anything to my mom. You know, they mm. never really forbid me to do anything, even in high school. Like when all the kids were starting to drink and whatever and smoke weed and smoke cigarettes, whatever. My mom was always like, if you want to drink and if you want to do those things, just do it at home. Like bring your friends here, Mm. which was very not normal of a classic immigrant parent. She's like, do well in school, but if you want Sambuca, do it here. Like, like, (laughs) does does it make sense? Not really, but it was a great way... I was lucky enough to have immigrant parents that had found the balance. Because mm. a lot of parents, that's the problem. They don't find the balance. They're so far on one side where, like, we came here, we made all these sacrifices. You have to do good and you have to be straight and you have to da 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 da, you know? So mm. I was lucky enough to have parents that were like that. But they also understood that I came from a different place that they came from and I was going to be confronted uh, to things that they weren't confronted, you know? Yeah. I didn't yeah. go to school in Cuba where I, I had to walk miles and miles to go to school, you know. So they were it was it was good for that. I think mm. that's what made me a good kid is I didn't feel like I had to hide anything from my parents because I could tell them like, yeah, today I did whatever. 
they would beat me up, but they would be like, <laughs> it's normal, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I, I agree with that. There's not much restrictions on you. Uh, the same with me with my, my dad. He was like that when we're, I was growing up as a teenager. He went to me and my siblings and said, yo, if you want to do stupid shit, go ahead. But you make sure you know yourself. Exactly. And thankfully, we know ourselves and we don't want to get in trouble. And again, like your mom, he was open like, yo, if you want to drink, come to my house. You know, I prefer that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's how it's always been. And it's like, yeah, my parents were hard on me. They were like, you have to be at home at home by eight. Like if I wasn't at home by eight, I was in big trouble. But mm. if I understood like pretty fast that if I listened and I did what they asked me to do, they were more loose on me. It's like they would let me go to parties, but I'd have to be home really early. But I could still go. And some other, like some of my friends, it was just a hard no. You don't party, you don't go to parties, you don't do this, you don't do that. You can't sleep over at a friend's house. You can't eat somewhere else. You can't. That, that, this is not a hotel. My, you know what I mean? Like I had all of that too. But it's just since I was a good kid, it it was very fair. My parents were very fair. Like if you listen to us, you do well in school, you'll be able to have privileges. And it was true, you know. So I, I feel like I understood that soon soon enough. And that's why I was like, I don't need to rebel. I don't need to not do well in school or not listen because that'll just put me in a worse scenario. If I mm -hmm. listen and I do well, then I'll be able to at least participate in some stuff, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So since your dad's Cuban and your mom is Portuguese, has their ethnicity and their background has ever clashed parenting you? Not really, because my my mom is like a chameleon. Like she will really, my mom speaks so many different languages and she knows a lot about different cultures and stuff. So my mom speaks fluently Spanish. Like you could hear my mom speak Spanish and you'll be like, she's Cuban, you know? <laughs> But then she's, she's Portuguese, so she speaks Portuguese perfectly. And then she speaks English and then she speaks Creole and she speaks so many languages. So I feel like she was able to, and she always hung out with some Latin people before meeting my dad. So she was already, she knew how it, how it worked. And they were, I was really brought up with the two sides and learning about the two cultures and learning the two languages. And it was very fun, very multicultural. Wow. They're awesome parents. Yeah. Like they did a great job. Like no parents is perfect, of course, but mm. I feel like they did a great job. Uh, yeah, like you said, like, yeah, they're immigrants. They came here, but they didn't have the mentality of, oh, I am Cuban. She needs to grow up Cuban. Exactly. Like they 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 were like, it's very important for me to keep the heritage and to speak the language and to understand how it works and, you know, all the customs and whatever. But also she's not growing up in Cuba. So she's not confronted to the same things that we were. So they were able to understand that and not all the time understand it correctly or perfectly or whatever, but they were open to understand that, you know, okay, she's not dealing with the same stuff that we are, that we dealt with when we were younger. And my mom came here when she was very young. So also she understood it pretty well. Mm -hmm, yeah. She went through the same thing that you went through. Not really, because she was, um, my grandparents on my mom's side were very hard working people, like uh, not very school oriented, like mm. work, work, work. Yeah. So she didn't really go through all the school scholarity mm. stuff. She was quickly put on like the work, work, work mentality. She, like she was working very young and not going to school. So it's not the same, but she was, she lived here anyways so mm. you, know. you said she, she spoke a lot of language what did she do for a living um my mom was around a lot of people so that's how she she learned mm. she learned all those languages being just around people she's very oh. good with that even today like she will my mom had is just easy for her to learn languages i don't know why but and she brought that to me also i you know i speak french english portuguese Spanish, uh, uh, Italian, 
And, you know, I can understand some other, I, I used to go to Chinese school when I was younger because of my dad, but I, I forgot all of that. Wow. That's nuts, man. Yeah. So I was going to regular school from Monday to Friday and then Portuguese school on the weekends, Chinese school at night. Oh my God. And um, I had music. So I was a busy, busy kid. Yeah. Did you like it though? I loved it. And at the time, maybe I didn't love it that much because mm. you don't know how much is going to come from that. But today, I'm so happy that they did that. And I would I would do the same with my child if I ever had one because, you know, I anywhere I go for a job, I'm like, I speak French, English, Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian. And they're like, you're hired. <laughs> 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 like, it's just, it's just so easy to get around and it's a lot of opportunities come from speaking so many languages yeah exactly so we go, let's go back a little bit with your friends w your friends were they mixed ethnicity or certain backgrounds oh yeah it was definitely mixed like you're in the heart of montreal so it was definitely mixed spanish people asians um Ara arabic people like from everywhere i i had friends from everywhere from day one like from the get-go from um the youngest age mm. so after high school did you go to college i did go to college i uh went to college for uh thanatology like you know what that is nope uh so uh mortician embalming no way yeah so i did that i went to school for that And um, I wasn't able to finish, unfortunately, because of health reasons. Uh, mm. But then when I, was, when I was getting back on my feet, I wanted to finish my degree. But then I got the opportunity to work in a funeral home right away. So I decided to go for that. So I worked in the funeral business for about five years. Did you want it to be? A... Yes, I wanted to be a mortician since I could talk. Why? I don't know. Like when I was younger, my mom told me this because I, of course, don't remember. I was like about, I don't know, four or five years old. And I was telling my mom, can you please bring me where the nice people are? I want to see the nice people. And mom was like, the nice people? What are you talking about? And I used to ask and ask and ask, can you bring me to the place where there's the nice people? I want to see the people. They're so nice to me, whatever. And one day we drove by a cemetery and I said, look, mom, the nice people. <laughs> yeah. And since I was young, I always asked my mom to bring me to funerals, even like strangers. Like we would drive past a funeral home and I was just wanted, I was, I want to go there. I want to go there. Holy shit. Yeah. Since forever. And when I was, I think maybe 12 years old, one of my uncle died in Toronto And we drove all the way down there for the funeral. And no kids were allowed. To, so no kids from Montreal. I have a huge family. And no cousins, no kids were able to go. And I flipped. I told my mom, if you don't bring me to this funeral, I will be so mad. And she, I was the only child that was allowed to go. We went up to Toronto. And that was the first time I saw a, a dead body alive. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I did was touch it right away. I was 12 years old. What is I wrong with you? I wanted to touch you? it and I wanted to fix the hair and I wanted to... And my mom, my mom has always told me since the youngest age, I've always wanted to be that. Have you ever spent time and think of why? Well, I've always been attracted to it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to explain why a child would want to do that. It's very weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, if my kid would say that, my kid would be uh, on fire. Like, <laughs> burn so their weird. whole kid and the whole house down. My, my child is telling me that wants to see the good people and he points to a cemetery. Girl, you are homeless. Not me. Hell no. Oh, my. I'll bring you to the fucking voodoo woman. Exactly. You... Girl, you need to exist. Like, What? What type of voodoo type shit is this kid telling me? No, but no, it's just, I don't know. I just don't know. So I've pursued that I from day one. But then 
I wasn't able to finish my degree, but then I, I went to work in the funeral home and it was, I loved it so much, like so, so, so much, but I had to leave the, that field, unfortunately, but I always, it's always in the back of my mind to go back. Mm. Do you mind me asking what happened health wise, why you didn't finish? So I had breast cancer. Oh my! And um, I had to go through all the treatments and the surgery and all of that. So I had to stop. Well, I was still going to college, but I missed too much of the classes. So they made me. So I wasn't able to take the final test. But I was a very good student. I could have passed the test. I'm sure to this day. To this day. To this day. Day. That if they would have let me pass the test, I would have passed it. But then, so then me, like, it was like skipping, uh, like, skipping school. I was very, like, it crushed me. Like, the the A1 student that always has good grades skipping mm. school, like, it was very hard on me. Mm. So when I got better, I, I had uh, surgery to remove the cancer and whatever. When I was better, I was, like, at a crossroad where I met someone that his dad worked in a funeral home and since i had already the background of the the degree i was almost finished with my degree he was like well we could use you here at the funeral home to work even if you don't have the degree you you can't do all everything because of course you're not certified but there's a lot that you could do to help around mm -hmm. so i was like it's either i go back to college and it's a very hard to find a job very hard like when you finish college uh, in thanatology it's almost impossible to get a job right out right, uh, right out of school mm. so why i was like this is a big opportunity for me to be uh, offered a job if i don't have my degree so i decided to go for the job instead of finishing the degree yeah that's first of all i'm sorry that you had to go through breast cancer and are you okay now zero percent no, I'm not at zero percent. It's still, um, I still have lumps and stuff, but it's mm. it's stabilized. It's fine. It's nothing to worry about today. Yeah, good, good, good to hear that. So, first of all, I want to comment about the stupid school. You not not like, come on, man! Like, it's not like she was fooling around. She had breast cancer. You know, that's like LeBron James blowing his ACL. Yeah, it's like it's. And I tried to, so there's with the school board, you can challenge and whatever. And someone there was like, well, it's a medical reason. So technically you should be able to, yeah. uh, to do it. But then I went through that and the board and whatever. And then it's on, finally, it was like the decision of the teacher to make, or mm -hmm. he had to say if he thought that I would be able to pass it or not. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I don't know why. What a, I, that that pisses me off, man. Shit like yeah. that, you know. Like it's not like you're an idiot student. You know what I mean? Right. But you know, I try to look at the good side of it and think like maybe if I would have finished my degree, I never would have found the job that I had. Mm. Because like I said, it's almost impossible to find a job in that field. Because I mean, there's not that many funeral homes in Montreal. So with all the people that get their degree it's almost impossible to get a job right away so i think i think it was better experience for me to just go straight for the the job because after when i worked there although i loved it it doesn't pay really well mm. like it pays well it pays decent amount of money but once you're there that's it like there's there's not really room for like you can't be manager of the morgue. Like, you know what I mean? It's just you you go in, you do your job, and then you go out. And then that's not really my type of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was like a blessing and a curse that they wouldn't let me finish it because I don't think I would be still there today. So I would have just wasted my time finishing the degree yeah, and not sure. work there. So I guess it was a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about this embalming situation? Yeah. So when the body comes in, right, what's the first thing that the embalmer or mortician do? So it depends a lot on the way the person died, of mm. course. So it's not everybody that has to be 
treated the same way. If it's like a very violent death or someone is decapitated or something like that, it doesn't go just to a regular um, embalmer. It just, it goes to someone that like specialized in like reconstruction of the face, reconstruction of the body, stuff like that. Depends also, is the person going to be um, like in an open casket, closed casket? Are they going to be cremated? Like, it's just, it depends on that. Um, but just like a general thing is just like you clean them, you remove liquids, you mm. put another liquid in that preserves the body, and then just try to make them look nice, you know, makeup and stuff like that. That's just like a, a very overlooked way to explain how the process goes. Or if they're crema- cremated, then we just... Toast them. <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but so what do you do with the organs? They stay in your body unless you wanted to donate them, which is uh. not what we do. We don't take the organs. Like we don't do anything medical. So if you sign your card to donate your uh, organs, then hmm. it's not a mortician. That our job is to make you look pretty for your funeral. Like mm-hmm. we don't do anything medical like it's usually done depending on so i'm i don't know if it's like that it's if it's the same for every funeral home i know that every funeral home is different but the funeral home that i worked in that like that i worked in and because i've okay so i've worked in all funeral homes in montreal Mm. like all the big ones um but since i didn't have my degree I wasn't able to do firsthand embalming because it's not legal, right? Mm-hmm. I was able to help around. And I was, m- the major thing with my job was like to, um, the family would come in, I would fix the room and fix the flowers and bring the body in. We'd be with the families. And sometimes if they needed, I would go down to the lab and help with the embalming if there were mm-hmm. a lot of deaths, like in the winter, a lot of um, homeless people die. So then there's a big, boom of that there what do you guys do when there's a homeless person died uh so when a, a homeless person dies and there's no family that was that are able to be found um so when you die everybody gets um two thousand five hundred dollars from the government what do you mean who, who gets the money so the money is uh if you have family it's, it goes to the family oh. but if everybody is entitled to that money so if let's say a homeless person dies then the money is given to the funeral home to arrange a funeral. Hmm. Now what they do is they either cremate, they, usually it's a, it's cremated, um, and they put you, it's just a, there's a, in every cemetery, there's a part of the cemetery where there's no grave, and it's unmarked grave, and lots of people are buried there. Hmm. On, on, like, they it's just sad. sprinkled it there. Like it's, it's very sad. Like you, you take the urn and you just, they, they 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 put it you know of course they don't just open it and be like oh you're free like no but they they'll dig they'll dig and they'll they'll put their urn or the casket in but there's it's an unmarked grave like thousands of like there's there's a lot of people buried there but it's just mm-hmm. unmarked so if you go to a cemetery and you see a big part of land where there's nothing maybe you'll think that it's empty but it's actually full of people it's just an unmarked grave <laughs> you're playing around and shit and there's like people there yeah wow that's nice that's sad when that happens so yeah like most people and they have no family it's just we we cremate them and just put them in an unmarked grave that's it did it take a toll on your soul doing that not not at all so uh, there are people that will say that yes like but for me, it was just natural. Like I said, I've been wanting to do that since I was a child. I was always comfortable with that. Like, <laughs> so it was never hard. So, okay. So small child, that's hard when they, uh, you know, because yeah. it's not only old people, you know, that you have to arrange for a funeral. It's babies, child, kids, teenagers, young people, you know, mm. so I would say young child, not, like not babies, but like I would say like age two to like 14. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's never normal. You know, it's, it's always eerie when you do that. That, mm. But outside of that, it never had a toll on 
me really never I enjoyed working there because it's just a natural process you know some people are like oh my god you're so cruel I'm like you're gonna die (laughs) someone has to take care of you you know so I loved it I I sometimes I wish I had finished my degree and I was really able to work full-time in the lab Mm. but also now today I'm like maybe I would maybe I never would have jumped the gun and became a comedian if I had my degree you know Mm-hmm. All right. Since we you jump on there, I'd love to talk about let's leave the dead alone, <laughs> even though I have more questions about that. <laughs> so you decided to be a comedian. When did that happen? So a little bit just like the the death thing. I've always wanted to be on stage. It was as a kid, I would my mom had this old camera. I would put it up and I would be <laughs> like I would dance in front of the camera and stuff, you know. In school, I was always in talent shows for dancing, for music. I was I played the saxophone for now 15 years. I've always wanted to be on stage. And I've always been told by my friends, oh, my God, you're so funny. Oh, my God, you're... I was always the goofy one. <laughs> and I have never been shy, even mm-hmm. as a child. You know, sometimes kids, you're like, dance dance and the, the, the child is like oh and I was like first to move and let's go you know <laughs> even as a young kid I was never shy so since I was maybe 16 years old I told myself that I would want to be a stand-up comedian but I never thought I'd do it mm. it's that type of thing where it's like okay I'm funny with my friends but am I going to be funny on stage probably not mm-hmm. and also you're a woman you're ethnic, like people are not are like, no, you're not going to be, you're never going to make it. You know? <laughs> so two years ago, someone said, you should really try. Like you should try because you're hilarious, you're funny and you, you're a feel good person in general. Like people always tell me that if I speak or if I tell a story, like people are drawn to listen to what I say. And they were like, you should go on stage and try, at least try. And Someone hooked me up and said, you should go see Alban Preach. I don't know if you know them. They're a Montreal-based uh, comedian, and they're also, they're also on YouTube. Mm. And I went to one of their open mics. I went up to Preach, and I said, hi, my name is Arika. Someone said that I should come see you if I wanted to be a comedian. And he said, right on. And he gave me five-minute set the week after that. And I did my first set. It was awful. <laughs> but I got a few laughs. Mm. And... The like it's the first time I got on stage, I was not nervous. Mm. Like lots of people are like, my first time I was very nervous. I was shaking, whatever. I was like, even if I the worst, I would like I. It's so natural for me to be on stage, but then making people laugh is not natural. Like it's very hard. Mm. So I think I got a few laughs here and there, but the first laugh I got set me off. It was like it was like drugs. Like it is, that's what it's like. Like the first laugh, that feeling of, I was at home. I sat down with a piece of paper and I thought, what would people be, what would people find funny? Mm. And then you write and you write and you're like, oh, I think it's funny. Well, they think it's funny and da da da. And then you see all these people come in and it's like people coming from work. People maybe had a bad day. People, people are there to have to laugh, you know, Mm. and then, you go on stage and you say something that you invented and you make people laugh. It's just like a drug, you know, it's like it right away felt good to me. And since that day, I never stopped. Wow. That's amazing. But I understand. I mean, I'm not a comedian. I've never been on stage. I don't think I'll be ever be on stage. Why not? I'm not like you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not one of my breeds. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, when I was a bit younger, I thought of it. I actually yeah. wrote jokes for a comedian. Right. Well, that's but, a big part of it, too, eh? Yeah, I know. Writer. But just the getting on the stage. I still write. But I just going back to what you're saying, it's a drug. I mean, it's not the same, but I guess it's kind of the same. I remember when I was in high school and I make jokes and all the people laugh. Man. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just feels so good. And also, 
it's like when you have a group of friends and then you say a joke, but no one hears it. And then someone else says the joke louder and people laugh. It feels so wrong. <laughs> like, like, this bitch did not just steal my joke. Ah. And like, <laughs> it's the same feeling. Like, it's laughter is, is something else. Like, there's mm. nothing like laughter. So mm -hmm. it's something that if you cry, you can laugh. If you're sad, you can laugh. You, whatever situation you can be in, something can make you laugh. Mm -hmm. And to be that person that's able to make people laugh is just amazing. It's, it's such a good feeling. You have to love it to do it because it's torture. It's not easy. And you're going to, sometimes you're going to bomb and you're going to be awful. And there are nights where you're going to go on stage and none of your jokes work. And then you get off stage and you're like, I'm a shit comedian. I'm <laughs> not funny. But the nights where it's good, it's really good. And that's what keep you going? Yes. It's like being a comedian is the most confusing, weird thing in the world. Like mm. some days you're like, I'm on top of the world. I'm that bitch period no one talked to me and then on the next day you're like i am the shittiest person in the world i am trash like it's just that that feeling and it's it's so serious backstage people don't get how serious comedy is and sometimes that's hard and also the it's it's brutal because let's say any form of art that you do It's mm. your singer, your musician, painter, dancer, whatever you do when you're on stage or when you're performing, you always have something else with you. Mm. If you're a singer, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what if you have charisma or not. If you have a, an amazing voice, then that's what people are going to remember. You know, of course, all the rest can help. But truth is, if you have the best voice in the world then you're fine mm -hmm. if you're a musician you go on stage you have your guitar you have your instrument you're not all, you're not alone you have something else to carry you through your time but as a comedian it's you and the mic mm. and that's it like it's it, you i get an immediate response to what i'm doing if i say something and it's not funny you're not gonna laugh <laughs> i have to keep going like it's it's brutal it's it's the most brutal form of performance i feel in my opinion but it's also the most rewarding mm -hmm. I I, that's i mean it's it, you can't really compare it to anything else yeah also i heard this before from comedians because i'm a bit of a comedy nerd that comedy is the only form of art that you have a hit let's say right your joke hit that you can once you release it once you record it you can never use it again kind of deal exactly like if i'm a musician and i get on stage and i play my music and people love it and they're like more 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 you can go right back and play the same song you just played because they loved it mm -hmm. but me as a comedian if i say a joke and people love it and they're like more 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 i can't say the same joke <laughs> be like girl you just said that like it's Once you said it, it's said and done. Yeah. Like you have to come up with something else. And that's that's crazy. Yeah, you again, I admire comedians for that. Like you guys are brave. We are self-sabotaging assholes. That's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> we need you guys though. <laughs> so how's your writing process? Do you sit down and write or do you write on stage? I do a little bit of both. So every comedian is different. Mm -hmm. Like you can speak to one comedian and they'll have a totally different answer than someone else. So what I do is I find the premise to my joke. I write it down. And then from there, I will try to build around it. So mm -hmm. I feel like there's a joke everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I try and think of an idea that's not necessarily funny. If it's funny already, perfect. But if it's not, Like, I ha I was on a podcast today, mm. right? That's my premise. And then I think, okay, where can I go with that? That's funny. When I say I was on a podcast today, what are people expecting? What are people 
expecting to be funny. What are people thinking about? Oh, she was on a podcast today and she said something stupid. She was on a podcast today and it went bad. She was on a podcast today and she farted. Like it, it's, you think about all of those, some of them are good. Some of them are, are awful. And then you build like that. And when I have, I feel like a little bit of a body of a joke, I bring it on stage. Mm. And then when I'm there, I try to see the reaction. So if I say, I was on a podcast today and people don't laugh, I know that the joke is not there. And then if I say like, and it went pretty bad, people chuckle. All right, I have something, you know, it's, that's how I build my jokes. I go on stage and I try different things. Sometimes I, I have an idea for a joke and it's from beginning to end. And when that happens, hey, I crack open the bottle of whiskey and I'm happy. <laughs> Hallelujah. The ether decided okay. to give me something. I mean, it was, it was on Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time you have to build the joke. And sometimes you write a whole thing. And then when you get on stage, you get halfway and boom, you have an idea and mm. you go with that. And that works. It's just finding the joke in a premise is our work, right? Mm. Sometimes it comes up on stage, some, but you know, I can't just be uninspired and sit down in front of a, of, of, of a piece of paper. The comedian that you see with the piece of paper and the pens and the highlighters and the ruler and the pretty that's that's the comedian that won't make it mm. like but the comedian that's half drunk at the bar with a piece of paper that's torn up and says that they don't know what they're going to say on stage that's the one because mm. they speak from the heart exactly mm, that's right and so i did some digging about you and i saw a video of you that you made and uh, it's really funny it's on youtube it's on your channel. Which one? You told a story. I hope you tell this on stage because it's super funny. The pansexual one? That and what happened to that. <laughs> dude, I was laughing hard. I'm like, yo, you need to make more, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely do that story on stage. Mm -hmm. It's a very good and true story, that, that thing. And I've... So I've always wanted to be online, whether it's YouTube or TikTok or whatever platform I would use. But as confident I am on stage, like you could right now put me on stage in front of 10,000 people and I'll be able to perform. Not well, but I'd be able to perform. <laughs> like <laughs> I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have stage uh, fright. I wouldn't have cold feet of going in front of people, however many people you would give me. But online, I have this disconnect. Like, I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love being online and having an online presence. And tons and tons of people have told me, you have to make a YouTube channel. You have to make a whatever. But I don't know. I just, it's the one, it's the one thing that I'm a little um, unconfident about. Like, I have doubts. I don't know why. Why? I don't know. You were awesome, dude. Those two videos that you did, the first two, I'm like, dude, yeah. this is awesome. This is so good. Well written. I love the characters. I love the premise of it. Everything about it. Yeah. And like, you're not the first person to tell me that. And I'm all, I'm always like, uh, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I've been thinking about starting my own podcast and stuff like that. But mm. I'm, I always have that hesitation that I don't have on stage. I don't know why. Hmm. I mean, I don't know why. Podcasts, you can, like right now, we're doing it. You say something, I'll react. I know, but it's, I don't, like I say, I wish I, I wish I knew why, but I don't really know. But I mean, at this, like right now, I feel a big pressure to go online because bars and clubs are not opening anytime soon. So, Right now, if you're not online, you're kind of irrelevant. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I mean, you are perfect for online. First of all, you're super funny, smart, and it doesn't help you're pretty too. I mean... Triple I, threat, you know? I mean, I'm not a humble hoe. I'll say it. I know that I'm easy on the, on the eyes, mm. but 
when I go on stage, it's not something I rely on. So when I perform live, when you perform live, you could be as good looking as you want. But mm-hmm. if you're not funny, of course, you ain't getting it, sis. You are not getting it. Like people are not going to laugh because you're funny. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. So, but online, people will click your video or will click whatever because they like the way you look, which mm-hmm. is, I feel like could be one of the reasons why I'm so uns- unsure about online because I'm not used to putting myself like my body. You know what I mean? Not not my like body, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. No, but I mean my <laughs> like my physical self is usually not that much part of my act. Mm-hmm. It's like so yes, I move and I move around and I whatever. But I mean, if I if I don't look the best on stage, but I'm super funny, it doesn't matter. But online, it kind of does. So sometimes I'm like, oh, do I like when I do a video or whatever? I'm like, oh, is this okay? Is this is the lighting okay? Is the is the sound okay? Is you know I feel like I'm really hard on the quality of what I put out mm-hmm. versus an open mic where there's five people and three out of them are comedians. Doesn't matter, really, you know. Mm-hmm. But I should. I definitely am like right there going back online i really want to do it i don't know yeah. what i don't know why i'm not doing you're it. so funny you're so smart there's no reason why i mean yeah i get it you want that energy on stage you, you cannot replicate that you know yeah but you gotta do it i think i mean you're perfect for that i we and like we gotta do it because at this point that like i have some comedian friends that did not go online at all and I have some comedian friends that went all out with the online stuff and it works. Like mm-hmm. it works a hundred percent. People are at home. They have nothing to do. They're on their phones. So they need the, they need that. They need the, just the distraction, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really working. The people that my colleagues in the comedy world that are online have gained thousands of followers and they get praise and people love them and they're not, there are people that I work with on stage, you know, so they're not all that different from me, but definitely, but well, right now I'm working on a few projects that are going to come in the next um, few months. So follow me on Instagram to see all the the new stuff that I'm going to come out with. But yeah, right now I'm definitely working on the online stuff. It's just, I, I, I have to come prepared because that's just part of my personality. I have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. That's good. I want to touch base about what you said about the people clicks on your video because of your looks. That's one reason I don't use the video. Because I want to focus on the art other than the looks, if that makes sense. I agree. I understand what you mean. But the one place, like the one thing where I don't agree with is podcasting. So Mm. I'm someone I love podcasts, but I have a really hard time listening to podcasts where there's no visual to follow like Mm -hmm. i'm just i have a hard time so i know people are like i listen to podcasts in the car i'm like i will crash my car so fast (laughs) if i listen to people talk while driving so i don't know i feel like if i were to do a podcast it would have to be filmed but not because of not because it's me or because i rely on looks or whatever it's just that i know that a lot of people are like me and like listening to podcasts without the visual is hard mm, i was surprised I mean, when you told me that you didn't have any visual yeah to be honest i'm just lazy right it's hard to edit video right also some guest doesn't want to be on video right that's true so it's i don't want to put out three episodes with video and then two episodes no video yeah but also like this is that's just me like there's tons and tons of people that listen to podcasts without watching them so mm. i don't feel it's necessary mm. i don't feel like it is um i think it works really well and if your podcast is interesting and the people you have on are interesting and you carry it well and it's well constructed and structured like i was able to listen to your podcast easy like, oh, thank you i liked it i listened to it and i was fine it's just that i feel like i'm so like, I don't watch TV, I don't watch series, I don't watch movies. I can't just sit there and... So I listen to your podcast, like, while working. 
Mm-hmm. And that was easy for me to listen to because I, ha- I was doing something else with my mm-hmm. body. Like, I don't know. But I, I really liked how you're, I feel like if your podcast is well constructed and the, the topics are interesting, the guests are interesting, and it's fine. You don't, you don't need to have the visual. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening. I mean, it blows my mind when people listen. Why? I don't know, because I'm just a dude that nobody knows about. You shouldn't think like that. I know, but <laughs> that's how I think, okay? But I put out good product anyway. For me, the content is good. That is no yeah. doubt. I, I'm confident with product. When people, like you say, oh, uh, I listen to it, or isn't random people online that say, dude, I, I like your podcast. It's good. I'm like. Yeah, that's very, see, that's very strange to me, but that's the, I mean, you, everybody's different on that, but I mean, if you put it out, you should be like, yes, you listen to it, listen to it again. Like, <laughs> Oh, I do it. I do it. I, I say, yeah, thank you. Don't forget to share and like and all that stuff. It's just, it, it, I don't know. It's just sometimes I'm just like. But I get it. I, I know what you mean. It's always surprising. It's, it's kind of the same, like when I when I do a show and like my name is on the headline, like so sometimes if it's just an open mic or whatever, it's fine. But if it's, if it's a real show where it's like, you have to pay $25, here's the comedians when it's like, Oh, it's sold out. I'm like, it's sold out. Like (laughs) how, like who is like, wow, people are paying money to see me and my colleagues perform. That's crazy. It's crazy to me that people would spend their hard earned money to see a show of mine like it's mm. it's it's humbling and it's it's the best motivation so i guess i guess i understand what you mean mm-hmm. yeah exactly you know it is humbling and hey i'm egotistical you know i love when people says that you know of course you know anybody that says oh man i i don't mind like it's like bitch yell why the fuck you lying <laughs> like no you are lying man you're so funny. Unfortunately, we're there. Do you have any more topics or question or whatever you you want to add? No, that was super fun. And uh, thank you for having me again. Mm. And I mean, I'd be down to do another episode anytime. Or maybe you'll have me on your podcast. Definitely. <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm working on stuff. I am definitely working on stuff. And this is not the last of us. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again, Erica, for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And this is really fun. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. Hi. Thank you again, Erica, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later. <laughs>